Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I am here with my co-host, Nick Houston. Nick Houston. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. You look relaxed. You look... Like you're in a good, good way this afternoon. Well, you know, anytime I'm up here with you doing the podcast, it's a little it's, bit of a break a, from the. It's always the administrative hallway. Yeah, it's always the end of the day, and so. So you're either in a bad mood or a great mood, depending upon how the day has gone. Well, by the time we get in here and get going, I'm in a great mood. There we go. I like it. Um, we are. Uh, we're just going to jump in today. Uh, no, no small talk, other than other than that couple seconds right there. Uh, we are going to talk about hell. Right. Hell. We are going to talk about hell today. Uh, this is a topic that you and I have had some conversation before in the past. Yeah, it's one, this is like one of those podcast-inspiring conversations. That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, one of the inspirations for this is we just started our uh, Hell, Heathens, and Holiness class, which is faith and film class, on Tuesday night. Uh, and we got a lot of interest in that. A lot of people asking questions about hell and why we don't talk about hell very much from the pulpit in the Methodist church or really do a lot of Bible studies about hell. We just don't talk about hell in the Methodist church very often. And really, I mean, unless you grow up kind of like we did, like we did, you don't hear, you don't hear about hell a lot uh, in the Christian tradition anymore. It's very unpopular uh, and kind of a third rail almost conversation that people don't want to touch. Um, So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to jump in. I figured July is a good time. The reason why we're doing the Hell, Heathens, and Holiness class uh, right now is it's July. And And it's hot hot as... Yeah. (laughs) It is hot as uh, hell, I guess you might say, right? Uh, Particularly here in Atlanta. I had a pastor that I worked for back when I was a youth director who, in July, he would put on the marquee, he would put, July, Jew fry. (laughs) (laughs) If you lie, you fry. Uh, I always thought that was funny. So let's talk about hell today. Um, how do you want to start this conversation? We don't come in here prepared with any notes or any kind of study or anything. I've got a few verses I, I might throw out for yeah. us today, but um, let's just start with a general conversation of what do you think hell is, Nick? How much time do you put into thinking about hell? Well, I mean, I put a lot of time into thinking about hell. That's the first 18 <laughs> years of my life. Well, maybe that's if you a... weren't thinking about <laughs> hell, you know, you weren't making any good decisions. Maybe that's a good way to start the conversation. How did you grow up? Uh, as you as you grew up in your in the tradition you grew up in, uh, what was taught to you about this place? I mean, in, in that tradition, every Sunday included a part of the worship service where. You know, you had an opportunity to come forward and dedicate your life to Jesus Christ. And and they put that in terms of if not you going down, you will go to right. hell. So they, right. they explicitly mentioned that, or is it um, just kind of implied? Not at the end of every worship service as part of an altar call, but <laughs> certainly <laughs> you were you you wanted to be with Jesus, so you weren't somewhere else. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I I remember that too. Uh particularly, yeah. Um it, the the whole the whole idea of a of a of an altar call at the end of a service or the invitation wherever it might happen to come be part of uh, the kingdom of God right kind of 
sometimes explicitly, oftentimes implicitly, you know, also included this idea that if you don't, Mm-hmm. then you might be going to this place called hell. Well, so let me take the reins here for a minute, yeah, Jay. Go, please do. You, you came to me and said, you know, I think uh, we ought to talk about hell. And I was like, yes, that's a great idea. Yeah. We could definitely talk about that. And part of where that was coming from for me was the um, the shift in the conversation about hell from how I grew up to getting married and starting to come to a Methodist church where we don't talk about hell. Yeah. I mean, we focus so much more on God's love for you and grace, Grace, and it's much more um, become a Christian, live a better life, go to heaven, versus you keep living like a sinner, and you're going to go to hell. Right. If you were to die tonight, where would you go? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And... I think it was such a stark contrast for me. I was like, are these people reading out of the same book? So you noticed. You yeah. noticed like right away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so it really did start to get to me like, um, how how can you have such different approaches with such, you know, using the same source material, that is the yeah, Bible, right? Um, walk away with one group going, we're talking about hell. Yeah. And judgment. Yeah. And the other group going, I mean, it's a thing, but we don't got to talk about it all the time. Right. Right. And then as I started working through Disciple, which is the first time in my life I've actually kind of sat down with a mission of reading through the Bible. Yeah. And in Disciple, you don't read through word for word, but really capturing that whole arc of Scripture. Um, and I went, you know... Jesus talks about hell and Revelation talks about hell and there are some comments about it, but it is not nearly as central. It's not every other word like I thought growing up. Right, right, absolutely, yeah. (laughs) And so trying to sort out um, how such a huge emphasis got put on it and how it's talked about in the Bible and how that differs in the Methodist church. So how did the, how did um how did going through disciple help you to kind of unlock that a little bit or break that down? Or? Um I think it was just being exposed to scripture more broadly. Yeah. I mean and and yeah there and is not a, just particular verses, right? You you're you're kind of taking in the whole story and all the context. Right, and not just reading out the snippet. Right. You know, and it's real easy to focus on all the places where Jesus said I'm going to separate the jeep sheep from the goats or the one place you're gonna go to Gehenna or you're gonna like (laughs) yeah 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 um like the the concept of hell particularly in the old testament yeah it doesn't really exist right like not really there yeah you die Mm -hmm. and you want to have lived right and served God and God calls the people over and over again to repent but you'll be destroyed in this life if you don't repent that's right not you're going to hell if you don't repent right and, and a lot of that, I think, has to do with um, the way that the Old Testament was written. It's much more, and we've talked about this many times, but it's much more communal. It's generational. It's talking about trying to save a whole people across generations, right? Not just one individual, single person. Now, there are stories about you know that, and, and that is not, it's not that that's not important. But the focus of the writers in the, New Test- or the Old Testament are... For you, all the Jews. For all the Israelites, right? All the Jews. Yeah. Um, 
And the word that usually gets translated, sometimes you'll see the word hell up here in the Old Testament. Uh, and that word is oftentimes is a Hebrew word, sheol, which uh, it gets translated as hell, sometimes as the pit or the grave. Um, but it's mm-hmm. understood to be the place where everybody goes when you die. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the place where you are no longer living. <laughs> and so um, that sometimes will get trans, and oftentimes it's talked about in a negative way, obviously, because yeah. death and being buried and, 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 and no longer being part of living is a negative thing. But it's, ne- it's not talked about in the way that we think about hell, although sometimes it'll get translated that way. Well, and so I guess what put it, what put it starkly to me is then when you, we do get into the New Testament through disciple and we start reading through and then you see Jesus talk about a judgment in hell yeah, and, and afterlife and what that experience is going to be like. And just last year, ran through disciple four and got into Revelation. Yeah. And you see in Revelation a conversation about the fiery pit the and lake of fire. And there's a, you know, you need to turn or burn. So what's interesting about that is is to actually go back through the New Testament and uh, and and ask questions like, is Jesus actually talking about a version of hell that we often imagine when we think about it? Is he talking about a place where you know um, people get sent for eternal punishment um, if they don't follow him, or is he speaking uh, in a different way? And I think there's there's a couple different ways to read it, but. Um, it's helpful to kind of to think of the context. If if the Old Testament, if the Hebrew tradition that Jesus is coming out of doesn't really have concern for hell, where does Jesus pick up that idea? You know, what is what's going on with Jesus? Is he introducing a whole new idea? Is this is is hell something that's introduced when the Son of God is introduced to the world? And does that seem? I mean, it would stand to reason weird. that he could implement original ideas. Yeah, right. He is the word of God, right? <laughs> so absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but does it make sense that he would, you know? I mean, what what is, uh, I don't know if you remember from your disciple reading any any engagement with that kind of thinking, but, you know, if Jesus is is a Hebrew. No, this is a first, this is. First thoughts. First thoughts. First thoughts. Oh man, that's a that's a good idea for a segment. First <laughs> thoughts with Lincoln James. No, it never occurred to me to question where does Jesus come up with this idea of yeah. judgment and hell and the afterlife from. Well, I, I think one of the big things that happens in between the Old Testament and the New Testament times is uh, this guy named Alexander the Great. Are you familiar with him? Uh, You've heard some stories about him. He's you know you know Alexander the Great, right? <laughs> Uh, took over the world. Took over the world, right? Played, he, played it, by Colin Farrell. Yes, that's right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it looked exactly like Colin Farrell. There he, you go. When he's twenty years old, he takes over. Uh, he takes over for his dad, uh, the Macedonian or Greek Empire, mm-hmm. uh, and then just takes and then just runs with it for ten years. He goes from basically Greece all the way to India. Yeah, uh, and takes over Persia. Uh, the the Persians who had freed the Jews from the Babylonians then get you know taken over by Alexander the Great. He, he takes over when he's twenty years old and he's dead by the time he's thirty two, and he had taken over the entire world. People with that kind of ambition sometimes that's rub a, me the wrong. <laughs> that's living hard and fast. It's living hard and fast. Uh, but one of the things that so that one of the repercussions of that is that he also comes through and takes over the area of Palestine or the the land uh, where. Judah uh, is mm-hmm. Judah and Israel, 
And uh, his influence is to bring in all these Greek ideas of uh, the afterlife. And one of those Greek ideas uh, is the mythology of Hades, right? The, the, this place that people go when they die, um, where sometimes it's characterized as a bad place that you go when you die to be punished. And sometimes no. it's, it's characterized as just where everybody goes. But it's a clear space that has been, that has been kind of marked off in the underworld. It means underworld, right? Where the god Hades kind of rules over this underworld of of of, uh, of passed on souls, I guess you might say. Yeah, that's really got me thinking back to that, you know, high school mythology class where did the Greeks have a concept? Did that mythology have a concept of good people go to a good place and bad people go to a bad place? I mean, so it, it, it is in there somewhere. Like, have you ever seen the movie? Um, have you seen Gladiator? Right? Yeah, yeah. So you got this Elysium, Elysium. right? Yeah, you got this Elysium, yeah, yeah. which is kind of this paradise where you're reunited with your, with your loved ones or those who have died wrongly or those who lived a good life, uh, and then you get Hades, which is the place where uh, other people go. Although that's not always the case. That's that's kind of a Roman idea more than it is a Greek idea. And sometimes in the Greek in the Greek mythology, you just have this idea that Hades is where the dead go. It's the underworld. It's kind of like Sheol, which in that is sense. I was going to say, kind of similar to that Hebrew idea. Yeah, except for the, one of the big additions to that is this idea that the god Hades rules over uh, Hades. Right. Oh, so yeah. there's a there's someone right. in control down there. Someone in 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 charge. Um, and there is there is a much more descriptive understanding of what what Hades looks like. You know, you, that's where you get some of these ideas of, um, uh, you know, uh, some some form of like uh, despair and even sometimes torture. Um, some kinds of places, uh, some places where you have this idea that this is not a place you want to be. Obviously, it's not just a thing where um, this is everyone's fate, but this is a uh, a place you want to avoid. Mm-hmm. So that's something that gets introduced to the culture, the Jewish culture, um, you know, a couple, uh, 300 years before Jesus is born. And so by the time Jesus shows up to begin preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God and, and what is what is next on the plate, you know, as far as those who are faithful, some of those ideas get, I think, incorporated into his teaching. Because this is what his rabbis would have taught him. This is what some of his, you know, this idea of Hades or this idea of an underworld, Sheol, uh, in the Old Testament. But it, it, it takes on a little bit different character, and so you get, you get some it of these ideas. I mean, it it becomes a place of torture. Yeah, I mean, yeah. For the, I think certainly punishment. Certain, punishment, I think, is a good word for it. Yeah. Um, but the question becomes like, um. How much of this is um, our reading into that, and how much of it is is Jesus trying to play with the ideas of his time to t- teach the people of his time, right? And I, I bring that up because I, I I think that most of our conceptions of what hell is, this kind of place of fiery torment and a place where even sometimes you'll see Christians talk about Satan is in control and Satan is kind of the mm-hmm. is the main power that's very much borrowed from the greek idea that hades is in control right so satan just becomes the new hades yeah so before you said that i was over here thinking wait a minute are we saying that god doesn't have control in hell well that this is this is a this is going to be i think the heart of our conversation but anyway so you you get this idea that um 
Satan is in control of hell, but we have these images of hell where people are being tortured because they didn't follow God or whatever. Uh, sometimes that involves fire and brimstone, and, you know, darkness and gnashing of teeth. It involves uh, like a fire sometimes, mm-hmm. that, that image drawn from Revelation. Um, and Satan kind of rules over the whole thing. But a lot of that imagery is not drawn from the Bible. It's rather it's drawn from like uh, Dante's Inferno, right? Mm-hmm. Dante, who, who had this spectacular poetic vision of what hell was like with his different rings and layers of hell. And then someone like John Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost and this mm-hmm. idea that Satan fell from heaven and then kind of rules the underworld or whatever. Um, so a lot of our images don't come directly from the Bible. Rather, they come from from these poetic images in literature, from well, pop culture or, that or is, church culture that has that has become part of our tradition. Yeah, that's something that occurs to you as you, uh, for me, going through Disciple again and reading like what's actually there. Yeah, yeah. And you go, wait a minute, where did I get the idea that it was this way? Right, and I think one of the issues that we have and is that once you already have a conception of what hell is, which you have been taught since you were a kid, uh, and has been constructed from... Um, not necessarily the Bible, but from all these other traditions that have been that have been piled up on top of the Bible. Well, and then you when even... you go back to read the Bible, you're going to read that image back into, into the it. Bible, yeah. right? So that's yeah. one of the dangers, one of the reasons why you got to read as a community. Uh, well, and it's really fascinating because I have heard the thing about Dante's Inferno before, did not think about Paradise Lost. I've never read either of those. Right. <laughs> right. You sure you didn't read them in like high school or college no, or something? You never picked them up? No, never read either of those, but the imagery, but the imagery is so yeah. pervasive mm-hmm. throughout culture. Yeah. I mean, you've got you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons with the little yes. red-tailed devil on the one shoulder exactly. and the angel on the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have we have a lot of that, again, not in the Bible, but it's a lot of church tradition and, and popular culture tradition that has been added onto what we think of when we think of these things. So you have a lot of Christians today who think of, that think that we have demons who are tempting us on one side and then a guardian angel who's trying to protect us on the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though that's not necessary. I mean, it's not, if you want to try to find it in the Bible, you might, ch- you might be able to find it. Right. But you, 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 the Bible's that kind of thing where if you're well, looking like, for something, you're going to find it. But what about Lucifer falling from heaven and becoming the devil? Yeah. So we talked about this in class the other night. And, um, this is, uh, this is one of those places where, uh, because the Bible was translated into Latin, the word Lucifer is a is a Latin word. Um, and actually, I want to let's take a look at that text. Okay. If you want to pause. Did here. you already have that one picked out? I did. Well, I talked about it in class the other day. Oh, okay. So I had a bunch of passages that we walked through in class the other day just to kind of break down the different words and images of hell that we actually find in Scripture. But this idea of Lucifer being like the be- most beautiful of the angels who who tries to rebel right. against God. And then raises an army in hell, right? Yeah. yeah, raises an army, and then like a third of the demons or whatever. The heart of that idea comes from yeah. Isaiah 14. Okay. All right. So the word Lucifer is a Latin word that was translated from the original Hebrew, uh, which meant morning star. All right. So morning star, um, which is also the nickname of a guy that you and I are familiar with named Nebuchadnezzar. All right. So in Isaiah chapter 14, it says, it says, starting with verse 12, it says, How you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn. You are cut down to earth, helpless on your back. You said to yourself, I will climb up to heaven above God's stars. I will raise my throne. 
I'll sit on the Mount of Assembly and on the heights of Zaphon. I'll go up to the cloud. I'm sorry. I'll go to the cloud tops and I'll be like the Most High. But down to the underworld or down to Sheol, you've been brought or you are brought to the depths of the pit. So this this passage, which Isaiah wrote to describe. Um, most scholars believe uh, Nebuchadnezzar, right? This kind of okay. this passion, this this kind of passionate king poetry, of Babylon. the king of Babylon, right? Who, uh, as you he may just decimated, yeah, right. He took he took Judah into exile, but he also is the guy who traditionally is understood to have built the Hanging Gardens, mm-hmm. right? The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of those great seven wonders of the world. Yep. He loved to construct things. The Tower of Babel story that we find in Genesis chapter eleven. A lot of people think is when that story was written down, the Israelites are in exile in Babylon, right? So a lot of people think that it, the reason why that story is there is because it's trying to describe what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do, trying to become oh, the most high. He's gotcha. trying to reach above God. So he's called the morning star, which in Latin is the word Lucifer, which then through tradition becomes, this is the name of the devil because this is who it's talking about, the devil. Now, it, it, Israelite poetry can have multiple meanings right so it's very possible that that's that's one way to interpret it but the original intent i think of the story was not to talk about this angel named lucifer but that has become a very popular tradition even so even so much so there's like a tv show called lucifer yeah that's on tv have you watched that at all and the episode episode, i have not watched it yet but it looks entertaining right i mean Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of one of the reasons why we're doing this hell heathens and holiness class is because we're trying to break down the way in which the worldly culture has absorbed some of our message and traditions, whether they're right or wrong, and then now are reflecting them back to us as Christians, because we live in both of these worlds. We live in both of these places. So you're trying to sort out what is biblical and what is culture? Yeah. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, and, and, and to be fair, um, it's not all about what's in the Bible. It's about what tradition teaches us and, and what we believe. But what happens is when we begin to accept the world's version of our pop culture's version of our own stories, you know, I think a lot of times we lose the true meaning behind those stories and we begin to take on new meanings. I think one of the repercussions of that over the past 2,000 years is that a lot of Christians... Um, start their gospel message out with, if you don't want to go to hell, then you have to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Um, and I think that's a fear-based tactic, right? I mean, yeah. talk to me talk to me about how you felt, you know, and how you think Christians feel when they're told, you know, you're going to hell. I, I think this is, this is not the original message of the church. Certainly, I don't think it was Jesus's original message, as you talked about before. But how do we... How do we deal? So, I mean, I've said a lot, but what do you think about any of that, all of that? Um, that's an interesting question to ask because I feel like I'm kind of going to straddle the space. Um, my experience with it is that it definitely works. Does it, though? I think it does. I think it does. I think that um, it, it definitely fails Yeah. also. I think in the same way that I have to you know, discipline my kids in different ways. Yeah. Um, and coach my kids in different ways and encourage in different ways that, um, I think 
there's lots of different churches with lots of different strategies for lots of different people. Okay. Okay. So, uh, and you think that might be, that might be part of the design even that the message, yeah. the message can be preached in many different ways. Yeah. And the, sometimes you've got to, you've got to tell people straight up from the beginning. There, there are some who are never going to get on board with a lovey dovey version and the, uh, well, okay, we'll try it this way. You're definitely going to hell. <laughs> um, yeah. And there are some that, that, that tactic fails miserably. And so right. hopefully those people eventually find a different tactic that wins them over. Um, but I do, I do feel like it is, there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> Why are you skinning cats? I don't know, but I've been doing it since I was a kid. <laughs> So, but here's here's the problem. Here's the here's a potential problem that I see with that, and one that I think I lived out, and maybe one that you did too. When you start your journey of faith based on fear of being punished, just like with your kids, I would imagine, like you don't want your kids to obey you because they're afraid of you. You want your kids to obey you because you know what's best, and they trust you, and they want to they want to they want to do what you tell them to do because they they believe in you. Now that's not something that happens, I think, when they're very young, but as you get as they get older, right? I think Jesus and God they're the same way. Like they don't want people to follow or believe because they're afraid of going to hell or because they they want to get a reward in heaven. They want people to follow and believe because we trust Jesus. We believe in Jesus and we know that this is what we're designed to do, right? We're, this is who we actually are. Uh, and there's a hope and peace and love and all these things that come out of that, uh, that you don't get when you start off by saying you either do this or you die. Right. Am I right about, what do you think? I think that's definitely something true for me. I think there's a, there is I feel like there's got to be some balance, though, of the ability to say, and I think that's what Jesus is doing, is saying, but this is the reality. Like, the love and grace and peace is part of the life. Yeah. But you are making a choice. And the this path, I mean, just like we've talked about sin so much, you... You, you are choosing and these are the two options. Yeah. And so, you know, should it be used as a primary method to encourage people to take door number one instead of door number two? No, but it would be unfair to not explain. Right. Both pathways. I definitely think that's true. Right. Um, and I, I think that's where we fall short a great deal in, in our tradition, in the tradition that we're part of now, right. In the Methodist church is that we don't do that a lot. I, there were a lot of people in the class the other night who I think were there because this is the first time that hell had been mentioned in like a class title, right? Uh, there were a lot of people there who had questions about what do we believe about hell or what is what is hell, right? What is this thing that we never talk about, well, but which seems to be so pressing upon us? Well, and it could go so far the other direction that if all God is is love and grace and freedom and peace and right, then... I'm just going to do my thing. God's cool with it. Right, right. But So, okay. So, let's talk about that for just a minute. Um, this idea, 
All right. And I hear people say this a lot, what you just said, literally what you just said, that if God is nothing but love and grace and there's no justice and there's no punishment, not, not necessarily justice, but there's no punishment, there's no hell, then why don't we just do whatever we want to do and God's going to be totally fine with it? But what we've also learned, and I think what Paul describes pretty fairly well within his letters, uh, particularly within Romans and in Galatians, which we've been looking over this summer, is that when you just do whatever you want to do, you become a slave to sin, and it eats away at you. You don't become who you're supposed to be, and it 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 feeds these kind of negative things in your life uh, that that are destructive of your life, where you can't have peace. Right? It's almost as though you're you're living in hell if you're not following Jesus, if you're not listening to the gospel. Does that so? It's doesn't. It's just not. It's not as though God has to be like I am going to punish you, because when we give ourselves over to sin rather than to Christ, we become an embodiment of that hell that we're so afraid of. Does that make sense? I I feel compelled to fill in some details here. Okay. Because the assumption that we are making is that if you have not given yourself over to Christ, you have given yourself over to sin. Yeah. That's that's not that's the biblical assumption. There is no we, there's but, no, there's but, no in between. I think we live in a culture that believes that they can be good enough on their own. Yeah. That they don't need to go to church. They don't need to dedicate their lives to Christ. They don't need to be faithful to the gospel. Yeah. Because they're good enough. Yeah, but what 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 do we this is also the same kind of culture where suicides are, are on the rise you know uh families are falling apart uh you know i, I kind of sound like one of those conservative talk show radio host guys but it's my favorite version but of you, the, it's kind of true though right that we live in a world where brokenness is on the rise whatever you want to say whatever you want to however you want to describe it because i think people have been like well we don't need jesus we can just do this on our own mm-hmm. so we've kind of created a world where hell has broken free on this planet I think that's the way that a lot of people would describe their family life. A lot of people would describe their personal life, their their business life. Their well, so what about that? I mean, we, you and I believe in a God of consequences. We do. We do. And, and so to that end, if you are not also preaching the consequences, yeah. then... Then you're not telling the whole truth. Right, right? Yeah. yeah. And so... I, <laughs> but do we? But do we believe? Do we have to believe in a God who doles out the consequences? Can we believe in a God who, kind of like Paul describes in the first part of Romans, a God who doesn't didn't create hell? He's hell, given you over. He's to given yourself. you over to that place. Like hell is a place of chaos and destruction. God didn't create that. It's a place that comes into being because we have participated in disorder and destruction. Okay, well, all right, so let's now have the conversation. You started out at the very beginning with the question, Nick, what is hell? What is hell, yeah. So what is hell? So you're saying it's a place of our own making. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, what I'm, I'm trying to explore some possibilities here, right? All right, let's so, explore that. Yeah, um, so, so one of my favorite versions of hell, and I think a lot of people don't, don't look at this passage as a passage about hell, but this is what I told the class the other day, and I think this is true, at least for me, and... Take it for what it's worth. It's just my interpretation. But in the first two verses of the Bible, you get this this beautiful image of God creating the heavens and the earth. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form. It was void. 
and God's spirit floated over the surface of the deep, over the surface of the water. A couple of things jump out. Number one, God didn't say that he created hell, right? The Bible doesn't say he says he created the heavens and the earth. And that's, that's kind of be nitpicking or whatever, but hell's not mm-hmm. listed as one of the things that are created. That's nitpicking. But number two, God doesn't create water in this version of the creation story, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't say that God creates water here. And the, one of the reasons for that, we've talked about this before, but one of yeah. the primary reasons for that is because water in this particular story uh, and in the ancient world represented chaos and destruction and darkness and, and just fear. Uh, you know, when you go out on the ocean, you don't know if you're coming back. And water would come mm-hmm. down from the sky and flood valleys and kill people and destroy villages and all those kind of things. Water represented chaos. It was this most powerful thing on the planet that could not be controlled. And it was chaos. And part of the creation story is about God separating, you know, the water from the sky and then creating land and allowing the space of order to exist within that chaos. All of that to say, I think that's hell. That's hell. This place that God doesn't necessarily create, but that is chaotic and that God can speak into and pull out of. Right? Mm. So... It, one in one sense, you know, our, our lives. No matter how chaotic our lives get, there there would they will never become more chaotic than that first chaos. And God was able to create all that we see out of that. So God can always speak into our chaos and create order. But that chaos and that darkness and that uh, that that formlessness that's going on there, it's not really. It's, it says it's formless, right? So it's not really there, but it's there. It's 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 this thing that's hard to talk about, but it's this. It's the space where God does not exist. Well, not just formless, void. Void, right? I mean, void is... How do you even talk about something that's formless and void, right? But I think that's what hell is. Hell is this kind of space that where God doesn't exist, where the presence of God doesn't exist. And so God can speak into that. And I think we all have a little bit of this hell and this little formlessness and void in us. God can speak into that, create order. I think that's what it means for us to become disciples. That's what Jesus is trying to do. When Jesus is healing people and preaching the gospel, he's, he's taking the hell, the formlessness, the void, out of their lives, the disease, the sickness, the sin, and speaking order and healing into that, right? So how connected then with that, the way that you developed that idea, it really goes hard back to our conversations about sin in the past. Yeah. And you've talked about sin in much the same kind of a way um, as a state of being. Right. Yeah. Not an action. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a state of not being. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost like uh, this thing that is, is, is just like a, a cancer would, that is, it is eating away at what you actually are and destroying the life that is within you. This is the kind of thought that I'm going to be thinking about over the weekend. Like... <laughs> How does Jesus really talk about hell? Um, there's a couple Greek words, you know, that, that he uses. You, you mentioned one already, Gehenna, right? The, mm-hmm. the garbage dump that's outside of Jerusalem where the kings of Judah used to sacrifice their children. It has very negative connotations that it's always this kind of burning pile of trash. Right. Um, and, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you know, it's better for you to lose your eye or cut your hand off than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna, into the trash pit. Yep. There is also the word Hades, right, which we've already, we talked about a yeah. little bit too. And that, that word appears uh, famously in that 
that story that we all know from Luke 16, where Jesus talks about the rich man who passes the beggar Lazarus, Lazarus. right? Yep. And, into the, and Lazarus dies and goes to the bosom of Abraham, it says, uh, whereas the rich man dies and, and is in part, is And he's in fiery torment. He's in fiery torment, right? So that's one of those images that we yeah. grab. And he's just thirsty and he's on, you know, he's, he wants just a little drink of water uh, and he can't, he can't pass that chasm. Right. Now, a lot of that, a lot of that story is not, it's not as though Jesus is trying to describe what the literal place of hell looks like. He's trying to warn the Pharisees about, or the people that he's preaching to, about the separation that exists between, you know, God and doing good and, and being a disciple and deciding not to do that. I don't know that, just like any of Jesus's parables, I don't know that we should ascribe to that like historical like description that Jesus is actually describing a, an actual place, but rather he's describing a sensa- a feeling, a, a, a disconnect, a separation from God that cannot be crossed at a certain threshold. Does that make sense, or am I being too liberal with my my interpretation? I mean, you are, and I kind of always go back to. Well, yeah, but it could be. I mean, it could be. It definitely could be. It could be literal. And and regardless of whether it's literal or not, what's the message? The message is you're separated. Take care of the people that are around. Do be a neighbor, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the message remains the same regardless of the consequence. Either it's literal, and you're going to a place that is fiery torment. You're going to be, you know, longing to get out of there, or maybe it's just being cast back into that void and formlessness. Where if you choose not to follow Jesus, then you are choosing to be without God, which means you're choosing to be without form. You're choosing to be void. We can call that uh, just ceasing to exist. We can call that just being eternally separated from God, which is above and beyond any kind of physical torment. I would imagine an incredible um, despair that goes with that. Does that... How do you think about, what do you think about that? Does that make sense or? I feel good about that. (laughs) And and I want to be careful. I don't want to, I want to explore this idea of hell without, without dismissing the, the kind of popular ideas out of hand. And I don't want to be the guy who's just like, well, hell doesn't exist and hell's not a real thing. God couldn't create a place like hell. Um, but I want to try to explain or oh, no, I, it's real. I want to, yeah, it is. I, and I want to, but I want to understand how such a place could exist and how the Bible really wrestles with this because I, the Bible has a couple, a few different images of what it's like after we die. It's not, it doesn't sing with one song. It's a, it's a chorus of, of song of voices. As you were talking through that, I think I did, I definitely got interested in, okay, well, so what are we saying about an afterlife? Right. You know, Jesus is talking about a resurrection. Um, Jesus is talking about hell. Yeah. Um, Jesus is talking about heaven and paradise and I've prepared a room for you. Yeah. You know, you get over to Revelation and there's a judgment and there's There's a lake of fire and there's, you know, so... There's something. There's something, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it is is telling that. I don't want to take away everybody in Santa Claus, but like I, I, 
there's something telling about the fact that when Jesus talks of, and when Paul and when all these New Testament writers, when they talk about the afterlife, whatever it is, it's bodily, right? So it's like um, when Jesus is resurrected, he comes back with a body. And it's very important he comes back with a body. Like that's, that's a key part of the resurrection right. story. Whatever our afterlife is going to be, it, you know, our resurrection is a resurrection of the body. There's not a separation of body and soul. Now, were you thinking on purpose about the new heaven and the new earth when you started with Genesis? I wasn't. And but talked about the void. I wasn't, but what do you mean? So it stands, to, I mean, if, if God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and there's going to be a body, and that's important. Yeah. Is he calling that out of the void, too? What void would that, what do you mean? Say more. I mean... So when you start with, this is a stretch, you know, (laughs) that's what we do here. Stretch. When you start with Genesis and you say in the beginning, God created, you know, the spirit moved over the waters and the water is chaos and, but God calls it to order. And then we're, we're talking about, okay, what, what happens after you die? And Jesus definitely paints a picture of a world where something happens after you die. Right. And based on whether you believed in him or not in life and followed his plan, like tried to live up to his standards for life, ways to live, behave, treat your neighbor, you go to heaven after you die or you go to hell. Yeah. And in Revelation... God is going to remake all that. There's some final reckoning. Yeah. And it all gets redone. And the world is without sin now. And right. every, it's the kingdom of God. And so almost as though there's not. So then. Whatever chaos and darkness is left is, is remade. So if I'm, if I'm just taking your. Yeah. Like hypothesis a step further yeah and i'm saying okay so is that like a fire in revelation what's left over when this new heaven and new earth is called out yeah that's interesting that because that that speaks to another aspect of fire in the in the scriptures where fire is oftentimes a purifying element right it's cleansing it's a cleansing thing you know back in the day in college, I worked in a jewelry store. Yeah, I do know it's that. It's always interesting to watch the jeweler, you know, work with fire and melt metal together. And there was a guy that I worked with that actually did, like, pour into forms gold and stuff. And that was always cool to watch, just how they worked with fire to clean. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's also the image you get with the Holy Spirit, you know, baptized with fire. This idea that mm-hmm. we are baptized with fire. Um, so it, it, I guess taking that that idea another step, then it, it, or taking it down the road, you're, you've you've introduced um, the lake of fire. It might be a purifying uh, situation where then out of that chaos, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Is that what you were saying today? I like that idea. I'm not sure. No, I think that is about purifying the earth. Right. But purification doesn't mean eternal damnation though, right? It it would mean something on this it would mean something closer to y'all need some more work. 
Right. Mm-hmm. But not like I'm eternally giving up on you. Because if we talk about, I mean, and that makes more sense to me. For, I, I have to say, I mean, we have to confess at the very beginning, though, that of this this kind of talk that we're talking about revelation. We're talking about images yeah. that aren't necessarily literal, right? So right. When we're talking about a lake of fire. We're not t- probably talking about a literal lake of fire. Right. There's, you know, we're talking about a poet doing some some poetic work here and interpreting what that means uh, is important. Just like when Jesus says, uh, you know, there's a couple different places where Jesus does talk about um, this kind of hell after after a sorting or a judgment, right? So the sheep yeah. and the goats, right? We talk about that, and we talk about you know being cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But mm-hmm. that's a like that that's a poetic statement, right? Isn't it? Or is is Jesus talking about an actual place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth? Could be again. The important thing to remember here is it doesn't change the meaning of Jesus's message, but it does change the meaning of, and maybe we're talking, maybe, maybe this is why the Methodist Church gave up on talking about hell so much, because uh, it doesn't matter. What we want is people to believe and follow Jesus Christ. So that's the, at the end of the day, that's what you want. And the, the fear-based tactics of saying, if you don't, you know, if you don't, then you're going to hell. Uh, is not what the Methodist Church is about, and I'm not, I'm not sure what Jesus was about either. I'm kind of going all over the place here, I'm firing on hundred cylinders right now. But yeah, well, Jesus said it, so yeah. But we have to figure that out, right? We have to figure out what does Jesus mean by that. But then I hear myself say that, and I hear my grandmother, or I hear somebody in the right. back of my head being like, "We're well, just reading too much into it. Like, right. Just listen to what it says." Yeah. Um, and again, you're thinking about this too hard. Yeah, I am. Maybe I am. But I do that because that's what I do for a living. I'm a biblical scholar. But uh, I think the important part is that the the message isn't different. Does it change the message? I mean, I, maybe that's a question to ask. Does it change the actual message of the gospel if the lake of fire is a literal place where people go to burn forever, or if it's a some kind of image of a place where people are purified? Does it change the message if... If the weeping and gnashing of teeth is an actual literal thing that happens, or is Jesus saying it just means that you're going to be cast out into the darkness? It just means that you're going to be left out of the festival. You're going to be left out of the wedding banquet. Does it actually change the message at all? If hell is a literal place or if it's a figurative place? Um, I don't... I don't think that it changes the message, but I don't know that. I, I, no, I do think it changes the message. Okay. Because I think that we're talking about. I think we're talking about a literal. I don't think you're going to be figuratively tormented. It might not be physical pain, but I think you will be in pain. There will be actual torment. Yeah. Right. So you don't like the idea of just fading from existence. No, I mean, I think you'll feel it. Yeah, I I don't. I, I the, what what consequence is just fading into nothing? You don't get to exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, but so what? That's you don't exist big, anymore. That's a pretty big consequence. Yeah, think. but you aren't aware of your non-existence. Well, so you think the idea of of feeling punishment and torment is an important part of the message? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do. But but like, okay, so going back to kind of sort of pop culture, all right, my first kind of image of hell is that fiery hell. Yeah. It's underground, mm-hmm. and you're just being stuck with a hot poker all the time. Yep. And yep. there's just like lava flows and fire geysers and like right, right. which may be the case right that's hell okay um but there's also been times where i've thought to myself you know living life can be hell right yeah and it's painful you know it's bad things happening to good people and yeah. natural disasters striking and you know, it's kids with terminal illnesses. It's, yeah. it's hell. Yeah. And it hurts. And it, it's not, you know, a fiery poker being stabbed into you, but it's pain. Yeah. And so disappearing into nothingness, nah, that doesn't feel painful. I think um, I I don't I hear what you're saying and I don't I don't disagree necessarily with what you're saying but I, I, that idea that we are that that hell is already something that we experience I think is mm-hmm. gets back to what I was talking about with uh, this chaos that sin introduces into our lives is yeah. it, hell being this thing that's not created by God but is rather a result of sin I think is is a, a fruitful idea for me but again that's not always how scripture talks about it. So I'm, I'm doing some interpretive work there that I want to be clear to anyone who's actually listening to this, you know, <laughs> read other people, listen to other people, read the Bible. Um, I'm, I'm taking a step there beyond, I think, um, what is just right there on the page. But I, I think it makes sense of what the scriptures together are trying to say. Mm-hmm. And the way that you just described it, I think, is, it, you know, Wesley would say that's an experience that you're bringing to that conversation yeah. that I think helps us to understand that. But let's go back for just a second. Here's the, here's the, here's the most challenging part about hell for me uh, and the part that I, don't, I can't wrap my head or heart around. If hell is, is, is torment, however we want to figure that out, whether it's fiery hell, gnashing of teeth, whether it's just sitting in a room by yourself in darkness and being separated from God, whatever it is, that torment, whether it's spiritual or physical, whatever, we oftentimes talk about that torment as being eternal. Is there mm-hmm. any amount of sin that you can do in a hundred years of life that is worthy, that is that deserves eternal punishment? Does that crime actually fit the, or does that sentence actually fit the crime? I will give you that one because the Bible is a story of grace being offered over and over and over and over and over and over. And over and so it does seem a little inconsistent to say, but there is going to come this point where the die has been cast yeah, and the choice has been made and you will be given no more chances. Yeah. That does feel a little strange. It does. It doesn't really seem to match up with the justice of God. And that's the, that's the part where a lot of people who would say you have to believe in hell because God is a just God. All right, let's buy that premise. I, I don't disagree that God is a just God, but is it truly just to be punished forever for no matter what you did for a hundred years, you know, you could be Hitler. 
is it really just to be punished in that kind of eternal torment forever and ever and ever and ever? That doesn't seem like justice to me. Again, I'm not the one calling the shots here, so maybe that's just the way it is, and I'll figure it out or understand it later. Oh, I think when we think about justice, usually we feel like um, the punishment has to fit the crime, and we want to be well advised of what our um, what the rules are. Yeah. What what infractions could cause such and such a consequence, and to what level? And so, if it is just to God that you receive eternal punishment for 80 to a hundred years worth of living life or maybe less. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a lot less, maybe a lot less. I was given the benefit of the doubt. Right. Um, then I would assume that God has determined that it has been so blatantly obvious what the right choices are <laughs> and you have been so grossly negligent in choosing them. Yeah. Yeah. That, that you now deserve eternity of punishment for your, and maybe that's 20, 40, maybe that's 60, 80, 100 out. years. Yeah, maybe that's the way it works out. I just, uh, that's, that's the hard part for me to wrap my mind around. All right, so since we kind of went this direction, we could take this out, we could leave it in. I want to talk about it, though, because I found it really interesting. Okay. So um, at, at one point, you and I were talking about TV shows, and you mentioned The Good Place. Yeah. And uh, Should we do a spoilers for A Good Place? Uh, yeah, this is spoiler alert for sure. All right. If you haven't seen like, A Good Place, pause here, go watch the whole series, and then come back. Right. Yeah. Like, it's a, it, it it's was good, a fun it's a show. Good show. It's I a good started show. watching it um, when it first came out, and I saw like the first episode or two, and I was like, this is so wrong. I'm just not even going to deal with it. But, you know, leave it to James to say, no, actually, it was really funny. So I stuck with it <laughs> and ended up going, this show's kind of brilliant. Yeah. It's kind of brilliant. Um, and so the premise of the show, spoiler alert, is that they think they are in the good place, but come to find out they're actually in the bad place. So they think they're basically in heaven. And they think they're in they heaven. They think they've died and gone to heaven because they've been so good. But it turns out they've actually been terrible people. They were terrible people. They were terrible people, and they ended up in hell. And um, hell, though, is not the classic sort of fire and brimstone and hot pokers and lava and fire geysers that I was describing earlier. Right. Hell, in this case, is a world that is designed to be emotionally painful, Socially painful, frustrating, 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 isolating, yeah, yeah, anxiety-ridden, a world of just not being quite satisfied. Yeah. And one of my favorite things is that there's a frozen yogurt shop on every corner in this world (laughs) because, like, you feel like it's good, but it's not really. We all know frozen yogurt is not actually good. That's right. Um, So that's what made it hell. Um, And through the long arc of the show what they end up discovering is that nobody has gone to the good place in five or 600 years. Yeah. Hundreds of years that, that, that the standards have become so come high. to find out it is too hard to live a good life mm-hmm. to get into the good place. So, um, every choice that you made in the modern world came with all these unintended consequences. Right. So, yeah. So my favorite one is kind of what you had mentioned before. Like there's this chicken sandwich that is amazing, (laughs) but if you eat it, you hate gay people. (laughs) And so, um, it got real interesting to me and I'd seriously doubt that the creators did this, but, um, 
I was able to walk away from it and go, exactly. You can't live a good enough life. It's not a thing. There is no way, like, if you believe that you're going to be able to somehow get enough points in life to be good enough to get into the good place, to get into heaven, it's really not a thing. Right. Um, And I don't know that they were intentionally endorsing our grace-based system. Yeah. No, I think... I. I haven't so I haven't finished the show yet. I, I have a few episodes left in season three or four, uh, whichever one I can't remember. I can't. Four remember. is the last one. So there's I have a handful of episodes left. So I'm not sure how it finishes, but I think that that's a really good read, right? I think that that's exactly what they're saying to the degree of saying like, how many Christians actually believe that, right? How many of us actually believe that we we are collecting enough points, you know, that we can we can make it into heaven? Uh, and the answer is you, you can't. That's the game's been fixed from the very beginning. I mean, like right, in yeah. a sense, like that's why we need grace in Jesus Christ. But then you push that even further, though, and say, well, if nobody's making it in and nobody can do this, why do we? There's this there's this I way of reading the Book of Romans, um, which I, we may have talked about when we did the Romans Road a couple years ago. Uh, and I'm not endorsing this way of reading it necessarily, but I, I want to throw it out there. But there's this way of reading the Book of Romans where it says basically, look. Nobody can get in to heaven through works, right? As no one can get to the good place by getting points. Yeah. The death of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ pays the way, gives everybody enough points to get into the good place. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Like everybody gets in because the death of God and the resurrection of God is enough to get everybody in, regardless of how many points you have accrued, accrued yourself. All right. Good, bad, doesn't matter. You're in because that's what the salvation effect of, of the death and resurrection of God it does for everyone. The point, though, of faith then is for us to is for us to become transformed and to grow, to be sanctified into that image that Jesus Christ has 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 uh, laid out for us, and that the Holy Spirit instills into us. It's not about salvation. It's about sanctification. It's not about am I going to go to hell or heaven when I die. It's about do I want to live at peace with God. Yeah. Right? Do I want to become what I was designed to be? Because that's the only way I'll ever have peace. Um, the the way the way that the good place works in that in that sense, I think, kind of sets up that kind of conversation. I guess yeah. I, one way I would talk about it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you like the show, though. It's a really good show. And if you haven't seen, I don't think we've kind of spoiled the first season, but honestly. Yeah, other we have. That, we haven't released that. Just that one turn, twist, though. But there, right. there's three other seasons after that. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Uh, and if you have have seen it, then then uh, you know what we're talking about. There you go. <laughs> Hopefully, you thought the same thing you when know, you watched it, it. But one of the other things I would say about that show, though, Nick, and this is kind of where I thought you were going to go with it, um, is this this version of hell that's based off of emotional frustration and anxiety, mm-hmm. whatever. That's the world we live in now. Well, that's what was so funny about it. I don't know why I didn't clue in faster, you know, in that first season when they do the big reveal. Like, as a Christian, I feel like I should have been there going, this is not heaven. Yeah. Yeah. They're having awful conversations, and they're getting upset about things, and they're still jealous, and they're still like, this is not heaven. It caught me, too. Like, I had no idea. I think I got it, like, three seconds before the main character said it. I was like, (laughs) oh, wait. And then she said it, and I was like, oh, um, like, but yeah, we should have we should have picked up on that a lot. But then, a lot right sooner, and then, but then also, what I think it's funny is that um, in that world there were 
other hells that were stereotypical hell. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. they it were an they actual were, bad place. This is like an experimental bad place. Right. The bad place, traditional bad place was, you know, this is a revision. This is a, you know, like they're because improving I, or like Ted innovating. Dan, Ted Danson thinks that he can actually, or Ted Danson is the main demon, I guess you could say in the story. Yeah, that's how they called him. But, um, he actually thinks that you can torture somebody worse through through doing these emotional you know anxiety yeah. and all these other things. Get them to torture each other. Get them to torture each other. Yeah, that's what it was. That's it was what get it was. Them to torture that's right. each other. Man, that's a good show. It. I gotta. Uh, we're gonna have to yeah. talk about that in this hell heathens and holiness class, for sure. That's a lot. I think I kind of just want to do a real quick doctrine check and be sure that uh, <laughs> we do we do go back to so, as a United Methodist. Uh, yeah, you yeah. Believe. So <laughs> here's what I so as a doctrine check, then I I don't know. Here, here's what I know about the gospel. It's not important to have a concrete understanding of what you believe about hell, right? That's one of those areas where you can have a little bit of like, uh, I don't really know, right? I I think. Um, I think it's one of those places where you can say, um, I definitely believe that there is consequence and judgment for our actions and for what we do. I think there is a narrow road and there's a wide road that leads to destruction. And there's a narrow road that leads to life. Absolutely, I believe that. I don't know how those things get worked out in the end. I do believe that God wants us to follow Jesus Christ because of who he is, not because of the consequences, whether good or bad. I don't think we're Christians because we get a cookie at the end of all of this, right? Well, see, and that was another mechanism in the good place. Right, yeah. Is that once you knew you were getting points to get into the good place, you yep. couldn't get any you more points. You couldn't get any more points, yep. So, and that's the thing. I, this whole project uh, of creation that God has started and created and set us into, this is about us created good and have allowed sin to corrupt us and bring us to this place that is very much hell-like. Uh, within our own souls, with our own spirits, but also within uh, the world that we live in, uh, which is going on for generation, generation, generation now. The goal is not to give individual Christians this choice, do you want to go to heaven or hell? The goal is to become in re- to, to get into relationship with Jesus Christ and to, and to, and to, be, to be restored into that original goodness and image that we were created in. So any preaching that starts with you're going to hell if you don't follow Christ— it's, you're going to be hard-pressed to convince me that that's, a, that's an effective way to get to that place. However, like you said, and I think this is a valid point, some people maybe need that. Maybe that's how some people have to get started. Maybe that's <laughs> the breakthrough. I don't know. I don't know, but maybe you're right. Maybe so. Or, or maybe it is the realization that, no, actually, your life right now is hell. That's, I think that's it. Yeah. I really think that's it. Hmm. I don't know. Do you, do you want to throw in any kind of doctrine check or any final thoughts on your your version of hell or what you think how you think hell's important or not um you know i just really want to toe the line (laughs) jesus talked about it yeah it must be a thing yeah and i think that's good i think that's really good it goes back to what your mama said right if it's not in the bible we don't need to know about it but if it is in the bible (laughs) you you better believe you best better know (laughs) something that philip uh coleman shout out to Philip, philip coleman uh Something he said after class the other day was uh, somebody had told him or somebody said um, that if you believe, then this is the only hell you'll ever see. But if you don't believe, the world we live in now is the only hell you'll ever see. But if you don't believe, this is the only heaven you'll ever see. 
And I thought that was an interesting hmm. way to think about it. I don't know. I miss a real crappy heaven. <laughs> right, but imagine the next place. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. This will All be as right. close as you get. This is as close as you're going to get. Oh, man. Hmm. All right, Nick. Well, that was a great conversation about uh, a topic that we don't talk about a lot. Um, I hope that you found it helpful. I hope that that was fun. You know, it's always interesting to explore ideas with you. That's the heart of the podcast. That's like what the we're beginning all about. of the podcast yeah. was, you know, you and I sitting down talking and coming up with crazy stuff. And sometimes we get too fancy. We explored some crazy stuff during this podcast. We did. You know, just remember these opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Northside United Methodist Church <laughs> <laughs> or the senior pastor, Dr. Bill Birch. <laughs> If you have any questions or concerns, please do not address them to him. <laughs> Come to us. Talk to us. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, well, for anyone interested, we are continuing our series on hell, heathen, and hell, heathens, and holiness, which is we're getting into some of this stuff. We're talking, we're watching some movies and talking about those movies. So we're getting into some real uh, dark themes, obviously. But if you're interested in joining us, please do. Nick, thank you for joining me this afternoon. And uh, have a great weekend, man. Happy to be here. See you, Northside. Peace.